Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And uh, uh, this week, uh, I'm very excited. We get to do our first Patreon um, uh, recommend. Um, Ryan Michael Zepp uh, is at our $5 level, and um, he instantly let us know what movie he wanted to do as his recommend. You get to recommend a recommend, and so we get to watch it. We'll take a few minutes and talk about it. And uh, yeah, Big he, supporter on Twitter, so thanks for the yeah, thanks for the support, man. We he, appreciate it. Very responsive on Facebook, too. Um, and and if you're wondering, like, you know, if, if we're the kind of people who we talk about this on the air and we won't interact, um, he'll tell you. We we know I, I have a conversation going with him on Facebook and you seem to be interacting with him on Twitter, which is great. So uh, thank you for the support. Um, and and if you want to be able to recommend a movie for us, you just join us at the five dollar tier and um, pick something and we'll talk about it as a recommend. And I, I can say that I, I'm actually glad that I watched this. I found this very it's, entertaining. It's a really good I'm not I'm not much of a sport documentary guy. But yeah. This was this was solid. I really liked it. So he, he chose the documentary called Senna. Uh, which is about um, uh, Formula One racer Ayrton Senna, who is Brazilian. Yes. yes, and it's really just about his his rise in the ranks as a as a race car driver, and ultimately his fall. And it's a real story, so I don't mind. I you know he he does die, and he dies in in a race. Um, but I really found it fascinating, uh, and not just because um, I I don't I, I don't know about you but I I actually I should I know this about you I grew up in a in a racing family like my stepdad loved NASCAR well Formula One for that was that's that's Sunday mornings at grandma's oh, okay so yeah so, so I grew up with okay. Formula One I mean I grew up with Formula One in the in the late 90s early 2000s yeah Michael Schumacher yeah was a name you probably know that was yes. him in his heyday where he just refused to lose he was yeah. winning just all the goddamn time yeah and uh, Schumacher does pop up in this documentary towards the end because that was as Senna right before Senna died that was when Schumacher was was starting to come up I mean mm -hmm. and he's sort of in between two of the great Formula One drivers there is Schumacher towards the end and then he get, did get to race with Nicky Lauda towards yes. the end of his career and of course he's been made famous now I mean as if he wasn't famous enough already made famous by the the movie Rush the great movie Rush yeah well, yeah I think Ron Howard's Ron Howard's best movie the last 10 years. Wait, did we already mention Ransom on a previous episode? We too? did. Like, yes. Yeah, just the, the underappreciated oh, Ron yeah, Rush, Howard movies. Yeah, Rush is fantastic. And as, as even if you're not a fan of racing, I think it's still a must-see film. Yeah, I thought it was great. It's amazing. I really liked it. Anyway, back to Senna. Yes, back to Senna. Yeah, he uh, he started go-kart racing uh, in the late 1970s, you know, at a, at a professional whatever. I don't know what that world looks like when it comes to professional go-karting. But he, he was a professional go-kart racer and finally made his his move to Formula One in 1984 um, and very quickly showed that he was going to be a guy to watch and in fact as you would think racing in the rain is extremely dangerous that seemed to be where he excelled he yeah. just knew how to adapt yeah to those kinds of conditions and of course went on to to be a huge public figure in racing and in his own country. He and became a national hero. Yes, that's what is, I was getting at too. Was which is some of the most fascinating stuff in the documentary. Just how important he was yeah. to Brazil. I thought that was, I, I found that, I, 
I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and he's a, in our our last episode we talked about a, a man refusing to play the games. He was another one of those guys who refused to play the games, the political sort of games, and of course got fucked over several times by the the Formula One uh, commission. Yeah, because of it. I, I I I it's hard to say. I mean it's a documentary, so it's hard to say like a favorite moment. But I I loved when he um kind of brought up like what had happened to him in the race before in their in their meeting and yeah they're talking about the different the, the runoffs in the road yeah yeah and and using those to, to get yourself out of danger and whether that's you know technically legal or not and the fact that he didn't re-enter the race properly in some people's minds and nullifying his victory and i loved also the uh again there's a great sort of hunt lauda relationship between him and his at times partner proust yeah the, the french driver and all of that was utterly fascinating. I think it would make for another a great film if you wanted to continue in the tradition of Rush, uh, talking about rivalries yeah. in this sport. That would be another great film to I, make. I think what was great, though, and, and the reason I, I would advocate for not a, a film version of it is that because... Well, I think, that firstly, the documentary does the job so goddamn yeah, well. That, that, that's mostly what I mean. And, and, I, and that's just me kind of putting the, the documentary on a, on a higher pedestal was... That most of, of what was being said was sort of, uh, it was kind of voiceover. Yeah, there was no talking heads in this. It's yeah. all just that they allow the footage to, to play out and for the story to tell itself, yeah. you know, chronologically. And then you just have the people that were there sort of filling in the blanks yeah. for you. I, yeah, it's it's tough because I, I don't, I mean, it's it really, we, we've told you what the movie's about. You know, it really, it, we're follow, we follow his life from basically entering as a, as a Formula One racer to his unfortunate passing and that you know the thing about this this documentary is the way they set up the, they set up that la- those last few days with um the way they changed the cars and the the kind of the automatic steering and the, the, what would have made it the, the balancing of the car a lot easier right because it was it was uh it was mclaren yes no, sorry, it was Williams Reynolds. Williams Renault, who was using this new type of, uh, they had these new computers in the cars, mm-hmm. which was doing a lot of work for the drivers. And of course, that's, you know, they went on to sort of, whether rightly or wrongly, win the year before yes. Senna started working for them. And then, of course, the year that Senna starts working for them as their lead driver, they take that away. And so now the cars are virtually undrivable. Yeah. And uh, and just, it, it's it's... He seems so cinematic, fucked over by circumstance. Yeah, and and you know it's and then it really raises an an interesting question when when the the younger driver uh, during qualifying dies in an accident, and everybody's been talking about the cars and and can people are kind of already concerned about everything, and then this this young driver dies in, in in a qualifying accident. It's like, and you can see everybody's already like. It's already very tense. Yes, and the fact that they they still had the race, they didn't. They just they kept going on, and and then this this pivotal driver, this pivotal member of of Formula One and and a, a hero for Brazil, dies in this accident. I mean, it it was it was predictable because you kind of knew it, and yet still took me by surprise. Oh, it's shocking, and especially when you have the voiceover of his very close friend that that their their medic, yeah, talking about it. And and being there as he expired when he took his last breath, I mean that just—it's harrowing. It really is, and um, it was a thing, and it's a thing that didn't need to happen. Exactly, which is is all the more heartbreaking. And I I, I apologize in advance because I I wanted to check this out and I I didn't, but there was a great statistic at the end that nobody had died in a Formula One race 
since, since his. Right, which deaths were a lot more common, especially in the Hunt Lauda days. I mean, I think it was three people a year died yeah. in Formula One, and of course that number was slowly reducing until this happened. Yeah. When they lost two in one weekend. Yeah, and that, yeah, and and I mean, I'm glad, obviously, that the changes were made. Um, I'm fortunate that they happened the way they did. But what a, you know, what a, what a great, charismatic guy who was passionate about racing and, and seemed to really do something good with his 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 persona and his money and and really helped try to revitalize brazil um yeah because brazil was i mean it's, it, it's not great there now but they it was in disarray it was, yeah, it was absolutely not. corruption in in uh in politics and then uh, mass poverty on a nationwide scale i mean he really was a bright shining light that showed he was a national hero. He was a man to look up to, and I can't imagine what it must have been to be Brazilian and to lose someone like this. Yeah, and very young, thirty-four. Yeah, very, very young. I mean, and I, who knows how long he would have kept racing for? But yeah, that's. I mean, he still had a couple of years. Oh, in oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, su- such a shame. But, I mean, as fairly straightforward documentaries go, I, I, I found myself really really engrossed in it very much wanting to know what the next thing was going to be and and maybe people who follow the sport more you know this is this is just you know oh you should know this anyway or whatever. yeah exactly but, I, I get that feeling though if you say if you're one of the top gear guys you yeah know, you, you've you know this this is just a story that you know yeah is part of your world you just you know this but if but i mean for i you know for a majority of people who don't know about this guy and 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 this sect of of, of racing and, and everything else I definitely, I mean, it's not just, we're not just talking about it because we, we, you know, we're obligated to, it's a good movie and I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, no, so am I. And, 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 and and as actually, as, as he pointed out when he first recommended it, he, this was in the book at one point. Yeah. It just isn't anymore. Right. Um, And that's a shame that it's not still in there. And there really are very few documentaries in the book. Um, and I know how you feel about Thin Blue Line, um, but, oh yeah, I would. I wouldn't even think twice <laughs> about putting this in instead of thin blue line. I know. <laughs> um, so I so there you have it. Uh, it was also produced by Kevin McDonald. I noticed at the end who was a oh yeah was it yeah huh. He did. Um, well, he directed Last King of Scotland, but he also he made that's he made his mark in documentary. He made one of I think one of the best documentaries of all time. One day in September. Oh, I don't think I know that one. That's the the Munich uh, Olympic Games with oh, okay. the Israeli athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, uh, narrated by Michael Douglas, I think. Oh, fascinating! Really, really tough documentary. Yeah. Um. So, but Ryan Michael Zepp, thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, thank you. Great. Um, I'm glad we watched it. So glad um that that we were able to do this. And hey, in another six months, you let us know another one, and uh, we'll get to it. But we're not there yet. No. And, and instead, today, uh, we're finally doing a movie. Uh, we did a poll. God, what feels like eons ago now. Um, end of September yeah. or I don't even know man and we were we were deciding which which Peck and Pa movie uh, we were going to do yeah we, we he's got about four in the book we knew we wanted to do one of them so yeah. and we I, I would say that we we put the two maybe more well known against each other to start right um, and we went with Wild Bunch which ultimately lost to the movie that we're talking about today which is Straw Dogs are, are you ready as much as I'm ever going to be, you seem really hesitant. Well, uh, well, we'll we'll get into it. Um, so, uh, so Straw Dogs is directed by Sam Peckinpah. Um, it was written by him and David Zelag Goodman, um, loosely based off of Gordon M. Williams' novel *The Siege of Trencher's Farm*, um, which, if you were to ask Peckinpah, um, the, apparently that book is a piece of shit. And it's got a really stupid name. 
<laughs> yeah, they hated the name. In fact, they did a they did a uh, they did a whip round the, uh, the the all the cast and crew trying to figure out you know a new name. And I think the producer offered a, a huge prize to anybody that came up with the best name. <laughs> and somebody had Straw Dogs, which is just it's kind of random and weird and ambiguous. I, I honestly I like it as a name. I like I do too. Yeah. I I like it's one of those um, that seems. Well, I, it, it, I, I don't know why it's not the same thing, but I, it, it reminds me of the 400 Blows, which isn't a specific necessarily to the movie, but also seems like, yeah, 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 I get this. It's a good way to pull people in. Yeah. I think the, the marketing for this film was great. I think the, the poster, I think, is one of my favorite with posters the, with the broken glasses. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. The, just that extreme close up of of Dustin Hoffman's face, which they unfortunately replicated for the remake. Oh God, I haven't seen it. I don't, I never will. I, I didn't watch it either. Yeah. But I have some statistics on the, on the remake as well when we get there. Oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, looking at our cast, obviously Dustin Hoffman is the star. He plays David Sumner. Uh, Susan George uh, plays Amy Sumner, his, his young wife. Um, and then, you know, I'm just going to read off these people. I'm, I, some of these people, <laughs> some of the bad guys kind of are, are, or replaceable or, or they, like they're 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 exchangeable yeah, there's, there's three or four of them that are interchangeable so i'm just going to read these names so here we go uh, we got peter vaughn who plays tom hedden tp mckenna plays major john scott del henny as charlie venner jim norton plays chris causey uh donald webster plays phil ridaway ken hutchison as norman scutt len jones plays bobby hedden sally thompson as janice hedden robert keegan as Henry Ware, Peter Arn as John Niles, Colin Welland as Reverend Barney Hood, and his wife is played by Sharina Shar. Anybody else? Yeah, the the guy who is not credited, who is a absolute pivotal part of this film, is David Warner as oh, yes. Henry Niles. Yes. Now there's a couple oh, of my different. God, thank you for that. There's a couple of different reasons why he. Well, he's not credited on the film at all. He was. Uh, the, the The main reason is that he was uninsurable. Because that limp that he has in the film, that's that's real. He actually broke his leg before filming, and it, it's got something to do with him, I don't know, being uninsurable, or, or that was that was their yeah. reasoning. I'm and sure there's some other uncredited, yeah, bullshit sure. reason. Yeah. Same with the the broken arm that that Major uh, Major Scott, Scott has. Yeah. That was actually a broken arm that he sustained before they filmed, and so they just incorporated it in. Well, and apparently, speaking of injuries and illnesses, you know, apparently fucking Peckinpah got drunk and got the flu, and they had the shutdown. Well, he production. properly got pneumonia. Well, yeah, what a fucking idiot! Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Anyway, he was quite quite the heavy drinker, apparently. Yeah. That, yeah. Um. So so th- that's our cast. Um. Uh. We already mentioned that Peck and Boss, some other films in the book. Wild Bunch is one of them. Um. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid in '73, and Bring Me the Head of Alfred Garcia in '74. I have not seen any of those. I'm pretty sure you've seen. Uh, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen uh, Billy the Kid, and I've seen uh, Alfredo Garcia. Um, I like Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid quite a bit. Uh, soundtracks. Uh, Bob Dylan did the soundtracks. So okay, I, I really like that. Uh, Alfredo Garcia left a little bit. It, it didn't leave a huge impression on me. It's one of those films that I think I saw too young, and I'm I'm gonna need to reevaluate because apparently it is his most personal film. Oh, okay, all so right. I'm, I'm excited to to revisit it if we ever decide we want to do another Peck and Paw. Yeah, yeah. We'll give some time. For, yeah. for the next one. Yeah. Um, so in terms of of accolades, uh, it it actually was nominated for one Academy Award for score. Uh, it lost to summer of 42. Um, I'm going to go on record now and say, I think the score is God awful. I fucking hate the music in this movie. No, that's, I think it's way over the top. I think it, I think it's, 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 
it's telling me to feel things when I don't need to be told what to feel. I, that's just my opinion of it. But there are moments it's heavy handed. I didn't hate it as much as you seem to, but I, there, I will agree there are some heavy handed moments in it. You know who else was nominated that year for a score? Yeah. Uh, Isaac Hayes for Shaft. Oh, yeah. Right on. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this really wasn't a movie that was critically acclaimed. The, only, the one I found was that he won Best Director at the Kansas City Film Critics Circle. Yeah, I have that one, too. <laughs> I thought that one was interesting. Is he is he from Kansas? Do you do the is he from Kansas or something? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think you think there's some uh, some local bias going on? Maybe with, with Packet Pie. <laughs> I mean, that would not surprise me. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna look. Anyway, this while up you're right looking now. it up, I'll take over. So we, we do have a Rotten Tomato score as well. It has 87, percent which I'm gonna assume you think is very very high. I do think. But that's, the audience I think that's the high. audience is pretty close. They match up. You got the audience score at 82. percent Yeah, I mean. I mean, yeah. it's well regarded. I think it's another film like Raging Bull that we did last week. No, he's from California. He, okay, yeah. Sorry. So I don't, I don't know what he did. Somebody pay off the Kansas people. I don't. You know, that's a much, much sought after award there. Yeah, and that's that's the one I want. <laughs> I want to be recognized in Kansas. Well, we're not in Kansas anymore, right? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not. A, I mean. The score is what the score is. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, so while we're while we're on stats, you want to know what the Rotten Tomatoes is for the remake? Oh, sure. So forty-one percent for the remake and forty. Uh, excuse me, thirty-four percent audience. This movie. This movie tanked. Twenty-five million dollar budget and it did like eleven million. It's, uh, it's, so it was remade. Uh, the director was Rod Lurie, which is shame. He's actually directed a couple of really good things. Yeah, um, the contender, contender in Last Castle. Yeah, okay. Which I think is really underrated. I really like Last Castle that. a lot. That's that's good. It's really good. Um, but the uh, the remake featured James Marsden, Kate Bosworth, and Alexander Skarsgård as the uh, in the Charlie Venner role. Mm. Mm. So definitely a step down cast wise. I don't know that any of them can hold a candle to, to Dustin Hoffman and uh, and Peter Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a. Yeah, anyways. Um, so, uh, do you have any reviews? I do. I have Roger Ebert's. Okay, I, I have. I, I have his two star review. I avoided uh, Roger Ebert's. I, I like mine though. So, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, so, I've got. Uh, I think this is the first and last paragraph okay. from Ebert's review. Uh, For a long time, the old Hollywood production code required that justice be rewarded and evil punished, a requirement that inspired not a few bizarre endings for gangster movies. But even after. The production code was junked. The Western still subscribed to it. We wanted it to. Peckinpah was asking us not to kid ourselves, I thought. But now he comes along with Straw Dogs, a major disappointment in which Peckinpah's theories about violence seem to have regressed to a sort of 19th century mixture of Kipling and machismo. You have to understand, first of all, that the movie ends with maybe 20 minutes of unrestrained bloodletting during which people are scalded with balding, boiling whiskey. They're not. It's it's olive oil, yes. <laughs> uh, have their feet blown off by shotguns, are clubbed to death, and in one case nearly decapitated by a bear trap. The violence is the movie's reason for existing. This is where Eber and I are going to diverge. It is the element that is being sold, and in today's movie market, it should sell well. But does Peckinpah pay his dues before the last 20 minutes? Does he keep us feeling we can trust him? I don't think so. The final paragraph, Ebert goes on to say, What conclusions are we supposed to draw? That Hoffman achieved defeat and victory? that Peckinpah believes in the concept of a just war, that drink drives men to the grave. The most offensive thing about the movie is its hypocrisy. It is totally committed to the pornography of violence, but lays on the moral outrage with a shovel. The perfect criticism of Straw Dogs has already been made, and it is The Wild Bunch. <laughs> 
It's interesting. So I think I think a lot of people were were really blindsided by just how violent this film was. I mean, this was the beginning of of just a different era. In fact, the the Wikipedia one of the first things that the Wikipedia page says on this is that it it makes sure to note that it came out the same year as Clockwork Orange, Dirty Harry, and The French Connection, and that the 1971 was a real it was a real violent year. It was a it was a shift in in tone of of you know what movies were willing to to show and what they what themes they were willing to explore. Yeah. Um. So I I got Paul and Kale's review from the New Yorker. Uh, now I I know I read this one. I can't remember how kind she was to the film. I not kind at all. Um. But I I and I it's like if I could have I would read the whole goddamn review because it's really good. Yeah. Um, this is, I think this is the last of it. Um, Despite Peck and Paw's artistry, there's something basically grim and crude in Straw Dogs. It's no news that men are capable of violence, but while most of us want to find ways to control that violence, Sam Peck and Paw wants us to know that that's all hypocrisy. He's discovered the territorial imperative and wants to spread the Neanderthal word. At its sanest level, the movie says no more than a man should defend his home. But Peckinpah has not only pushed this to a sexual test, but turned the defense of the home into a destruction orgy, as if determined to trash everything and everyone on the screen. The fury goes way beyond making his point. It almost seems a fury against the flesh. The title has been extracted from a gnomic passage in Lao Tse. Heaven and earth are ruthless and treat the myriad creatures as straw dogs. The sage is ruthless and treats the people as straw dogs. And then she ends by saying, that's no sage, it's a demon. <sighs> this movie. So uh, the basic plot synopsis is um, Dustin Hoffman is a professor on on leave. I believe he has some, what is it called there? He's been given, uh, he's been given a grant and he's working on... Yeah. On just on a, some kind of a sabbatical to yeah. do research. and yeah, They've left New York and they've come to her hometown where mm-hmm. he can kind of get away and, and work in, in what he thinks will be relative quiet and peace. Yes. Um, he is definitely the odd man out in his mannerisms and, and, and many different things. And Well, the film, yeah, the film addresses xenophobia right up front. Yeah. And, uh, and Susan George, uh, as Amy, is coming back to this town, which seems like it's been quite a while, and in doing so is encountering some of the people that have been in her life in the past and um you know essentially a a marriage that seems to be kind of on the rocks is definitely pushed to the limits by being here and ultimately we we have to deal with the fact that um maybe Dustin Hoffman isn't the best husband but in in terms of trying to uh make a stand about a, a, a dead cat, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, he tries to, I, I'm not even sure what his plan is exactly, but on, while, while busy waiting to hunt, um, something terrible happens to Amy, which I know we will talk about, um, which never really gets brought up again after it happens, which is okay. And, and then we have the whole thing with um, Niles and whatever his predilection is, and he accidentally kills a young girl who happens to be the daughter of, like, the leader of this the, sort the of Peter Vaughn character. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, ultimately, it ends with uh, it, what we get to is is Dustin Hoffman is keeping Niles at his house because he's been injured because he hits him with the car and because he won't let him go. And this I, I, this gang, I don't know, you know, this group of guys who are basically bloodthirsty and drunk or want his want his head. Um, 
they try to destroy the house and they they don't ultimately but what was it all for i mean where do we where do we want to start with this movie I think we should just uh, not every episode we work through it plot, you know, point by point. But this is one I think that we we should attempt that. At okay. Least. Okay. I like that. In order to try and do justice for it. So sure. you, so we we talk about Dustin Hoffman arriving. Mm-hmm. And immediately we get the feeling he's not welcome. This is a very small British hamlet somewhere on the coast. Yeah. Um you know the the locals are already trying to be as off-putting as they can be. There's that great scene in the bar where, and this is this is the thing that might it, at the time pubs would close down. They would be open for lunch and they would close in the middle of the day and then we'd reopen for you know the okay. evening. And so they're trying to get the Peter Vaughn character heading out, but he's being drunk and belligerent already in the middle of the day, and he yeah. causes a scene at the bar. So to establish that these are sort of lower class, volatile people. Yeah. Or at least him in particular. Now, we also have the shot of Susan George, and this is the 1970s, and this is during the the, uh, the sort of bra-burning age, and mm-hmm. she is walking around, you know, without a bra on, and so she's, she's attracting a lot of attention. She's nipping. Yeah. Hard. Yeah, this and sweater. so this, this yes. leads into a, a, an issue we're going to have to deal with later, is did she, which is, uh, it's so awful but the movie forces us to address it did she attract this attention did she go out of her way to solicit it well and as we get along there's a scene that happens later that will make that makes that even more interesting of a question again yes we we're not the right people to have this conversation who the fuck wants to hear from two 30 year old white men when it comes to the issues that this film raises um there was a so but and so uh and and it's clear that um Dustin Hoffman and and Susan George are, are they've just basically got here. Right. They're still trying to fix up the place and and make it feel like that's where they're going to be for a while. But this is where the film I think starts to excel right at the beginning. They they really did put in the work. I watched a great interview with Susan George. The, the criterion for this film I think is one of my favorite criterions. The supplemental package. Criterion collection. Yeah. The supplemental package is incredible. It's did good. You, did yeah. you watch? I watched a, a fair amount. Did you, did you watch the one on Peckinpah, the the Man of Iron? The no, that was when I, I watched the one on this. Yeah, and I watched the interview with uh, with Susan George. Yeah, I, I I saw it was on there. I I didn't quite get to that. It, it's fairly it's fairly long, and it it covers most of his his filmography. It's a real for anybody who's interested in Peckinpah. It's a great documentary. That's one that I maybe when I've moved to the next one to get a more clear sense of him. Yeah. But I, I wanted to focus more on on, on the this. movie yeah. itself, right? Yeah. But there's. They they did a lot of work to build their characters. Peckinpah forced them to live together for two weeks, which I again is not unheard of now to have actors in close quarters if you want to have them play a family unit or to play a couple. I know Blue Valentine is another big example of that where the director forced Michelle Williams or, or rather asked Michelle Williams and, and Ryan Gosling to live together with the kids so that they could form yeah. a complete sort of realistic family yeah. unit. But, you know, back, this is early 1970s. I mean, this is not necessarily the way that things were done. So mm-hmm. I I love the, the subtext of their relationship and I love seeing that he is, he is a sort of absentee husband and she, she is a younger wife and she wants more attention. She wants him to be more attentive to her and yeah. her needs. And there, you could pass that off as a, a sort of an immaturity on her part. But I don't, I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think that's the way I looked at her 
the first time I saw this movie when I was much, much too young to process what was happening. In yeah. It. I, it's so it's a, important for me to note that Susan George is a victim this entire movie. Oh, no, sure, of course. There isn't one, really one decent male figure in her life. I also find the, the storytelling lacking because we get that scene they, they, they've come back and it seems very conversational like that that first day that we see them seems fine they're talking whatever and it ends with them in bed kind of messing around mm-hmm. about to get it on i'm like okay cool you're 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 a cool couple you're doing your thing i don't see any any fractures in the relationship well no there's the the scene afterwards in the morning where that's a hard cut it is a hard cut. And I'm like, what the fuck is I, I, this? I really like that I hard cut. I fucking hate that cut. I, I love the, the duality of the of the marriage that on the, yes, surface level, you might think this is a, it's a stable enough marriage, but it's been, it's, it's been, it's been falling apart. I, I think we can extra- extrapolate that this is not new, that in fact, they may be coming here not just because he has the grants and he needs somewhere to, to work that's going to be quiet, but maybe this might be an attempt to salvage the marriage as well. And again, that's just me extrapolating. I, I, no, no, but no. I, I, but I don't think there's, 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 that's too many dots to try and connect. I, I, no, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's too many dots to cross, but I don't, I don't like the cut and, I just feel like it's it's lazy. Give us like it, it it's I don't mind that it's volatile. I don't mind that they're that they're in, they're having a spat, but it seems like huge. And I I don't like that it, there's there's no setup for it, it. it between does, between the two scenes. It is just, it is a good cut, but I I do I do get what you're saying. Maybe it feels like it's part of a larger scene. Yeah. It feels like we are just literally dropped into it and she's there. He's trying to work and she's looking for attention and so she's fucking with his shit. It on just the seems blackboard. so illogical. Yeah. cut i don't yeah. i don't quite understand it i i don't think it does a lot to strengthen her character or to help you sympathize for her because you can I, read that oh she's just being a pain in the ass while he's trying to work yeah I, I i i unfortunately i do think that might be what comes across right yeah which is unfortunate well, yeah. yes that is an unfortunate piece of editing <laughs> though it is still a cool cut sure i'm sure um I, I think that's what they sacrifice. I thought, oh, we've got a great hard cut here. We're going to sacrifice a little bit of storytelling in order to have this cut. They could have hard cut it. Well, okay. That, again, that's just yeah, off the I, cuff. I know, I know, I know. Um, uh, so, so then uh, slowly the the guys are introduced. Yes, yes, because they're, they're got, working on the shed. They've already got two of them working out there, and uh, uh, Susan. Amy, sorry, Amy doesn't think they're going fast enough, and so David basically hire gets a couple other guys to come out there. One of them is a former lover yes. of hers, and he hints at that in the very first scene of the film. I used to take care of you, and she said, "Well, but you didn't, did you?" Hinting that they're oh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of subtext. That yes, needs, that where, where can I put it? Anywhere you want. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, it's tough. It, 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 it. yeah. And she is a true conundrum of a character. <laughs> Fuck yeah! At least the way in which they've edited her performance. Yes, anyway. exactly. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, and and so and so help, and help me out here because this is this is where it gets a little like I, I don't under, quite understand what happens. So he he gets them to help start working on the on the garage, and they're they're having their spat. They're they're. You know, not, I don't mean that day, but I mean it, we. I think what you said, like we can we can extrapolate that this marriage is not. It's not a healthy one, and it's in its best state. Yeah. And then there's that scene, and I, I, maybe if I'm skipping over something, please correct me. But no, I know where you're going. You're not skipping over anything. So, 
where she goes upstairs to take a bath or shower. And as she's walking past the window, she's already topless. And he tells her to close the blinds and she doesn't. Yes. And as she, she stops in plain view of all of the guys out there. And Venner sees her and, of course, stands up. Yes. Which, which to, then, to really acknowledge that I see you. Yes. And, and but, I know what you're doing. But then everybody else does too. Yeah. So let's, I mean, we got we to pause here. <laughs> because what, what are we getting from the story at this moment? And what is Peckinpah trying to say in this moment? I, I don't even know that Peckinpah knew what he was trying to say. Okay. I don't, I don't mind that as an answer because I think that's probably what was going on. Right. It, it feels like it was, a, from, from some accounts at least, it was a very troubled, sort of fractious shoot. Well, and with we a get... lot of people having a lot of different ideas about, oh, this is what this character is doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, not, yeah. Not everybody was on the same page as far as motivations are concerned. I, I, yes. I, I, that's so, that, my... so that doesn't help. Yes. <laughs> so then, but, but then, so then, okay, so fuck Peck and Pop. As we're watching this movie, what are, what are we supposed to think there? Is this, is this just, because, it's, because it's a, it's clearly an act of defiance, but it's a to act David. of defiance that he doesn't see. So what purpose does it serve? Yes. Yes. So it's, it's other than to mislead us as far as the maturity of her character. That, that, and like, you know, like, oh, she knows, she knows that she, she, she did something that he wouldn't like. And now these guys have something on David that he doesn't know that they have. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, Again, there's a, a lot of there's there's more dots that, unlike the marriage, where we can extrapolate that this is what there there are more dots as far as her motivations are concerned that we shouldn't have to connect. There's there's a there's a line around here, um, where she she's coming home from somewhere out of the car. She comes inside and she goes, "They are practically licking my body," and he says, "I should congratulate them on their taste." And that he's basically slut shaming her for the the clothes that she's wearing and condoning these guys' behavior. Yeah, which then again, it it it, it for it, it's another that there was another kind of wrench in this whole thing where it's like, so David's the outsider and and, and in a way he's being ridiculed by the people of the town and yet now he's he's like not joining their side but he's finding like this weird way to agree with them and demean her at the same time, and it's it's just it's kind of confounding like yeah and kind of the way i was talking about um raging bull last week like this is a movie full of people i just don't care about which is which is hard to watch yeah (laughs) i don't i I don't i don't know what there's a there's another there's a lot of nihilism that runs through both this and raging bull which thank god we have something a little lighter next week yeah yeah um so, I mean, so where do we go to next? Um, he goes to the bar, right, later on, uh, and he tries to be the nice guy, right? Doesn't he try to buy around? Yeah. So he's he's still trying to establish a foothold with them, and, yeah. it's, and it's not really happening. Um, what What we end up coming to is just sort of how antagonistic the relationship is between the four guys that are working on the shed or the five guys. And then, you know, David, they, they kill the, the, the next big thing that happens is they kill the cat. Yeah. They, they have a cat and they string it up in their closet. They hang it in the closet. Yes. And that's what she says is that you need to fire them immediately because this is them proving to you they can get in your house. Yeah. 
Yeah. That this is them proving to you that you're you're not welcome here and we can do whatever the fuck we want to you. Yeah. Which then yes, which then leads to yet another confounding scene where he he's gonna somehow get the upper hand on them. He's gonna kind of mention it in passing. He's yes. gonna invite them inside for a beer and try to still be buddy buddy. Yeah. And but but tiptoe around, and be like, hey, have you have you seen our cat? Like I think that's the plan. Yeah, is he's, sort of he's just... gonna try and catch them out in a lie or yeah. something. He thinks he's gonna be, you know, they're coming at me with brute force. I'm gonna try and talk my way around them and prove to them that I'm smarter than them and that they think they have an upper hand on me, but I'm gonna prove that I have the upper hand. And this is what I think both Pauline Kale and and Roger Ebert picked up is the machismo. Oh that. yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, which which also leads to one of probably my favorite, um, like at least like plot device things in the movie where she comes out with the beer, but also a, a saucer a of milk, big saucer of milk. And I just I fucking I love that because that's the kind of thing that I would do. I'd be like, okay, you're gonna try this. I'm gonna come at it. I'm gonna do your thing, but I'm gonna do it a little more fucking like like. It, it's, it's still subtle, pa- but it's still passive aggressive, yeah. but it's it's definitely more in your face. Yeah. It's more on the aggressive side of being passive aggressive. And this is where, cause at this point it's, it's hard to, I mean, I don't side with David, but it's, it's also like, who do I, who do I care about? What's going on? This, this relationship is fucked up. You know, she's come home and, but she's dealing with, with somebody who isn't giving her attention and, and, and basically being ogled at the entire time. And he's come here to work and, and, and whether it's, it's her or just where he is in his life in general. Like he can't do what he wants to do. And these people are struggling. I get that they're struggling to be happy. Well, the, the, to... She knows there's a threat is the other thing. She knows that these men are threatening. She knows what they're capable of. I think it's, it's very clear that Venner had abused her in the past. Cause she mentioned you didn't take care of me. And then we also have the, uh, the Norman Scott character uh, who, who mentions that he'd already done 10 months inside 10 months inside was enough for me. Yeah. So th- these are violent men. They're vagrants. Yeah. They're yes. not great people. Yeah. Um, but this, this, when they, when they leave, when they finally go and, and you know, she, she goes, you, you, you know, great job basically talking them out. And he's like, I would have done it, but you ruined it with the, with the milk. That This is really the first time in the movie where I'm clearly, I, I for me, I clearly edge towards, towards Amy. I'm like, no, 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 dude, you, you pussied out. you, this is this is where you live. They killed your cat. All, all you had to do, I mean, and if you were going to do it, just fucking say, "Hey, have you seen our cat?" Or 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 outright accuse them. But like, I I I found um. I, I just I found him to be uh, so unsure and 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 like not steadfast and not not somebody that I I could really see, like. I just found I I wish I you know I I want I want him to be more protective or, or 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 do I mean you know his wife is asking you know please please bring it up well that and that's I I think this is this is something that I do appreciate about the film is is just how weak he appears at the beginning and how uh, like you said how you, you know he's not sure he needs to be more protective he needs to be quote unquote more of a man and, and sure. stand yeah. up for his house and his wife and and their and their cats uh the problem is is that in in facing all of that and being thwarted in his mind he swings too far the other way in the final act yeah we'll, we'll get to that, that and that's that's the great sort of juxtaposition and and yeah like you said we'll we'll, yeah. we'll get to that um so 
So what we have is is them inviting him to to go out and and hunt with them. Yes, in an attempt to sort of build that bridge and be all buddy buddy. We're, we're 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 skipping over a little thing that I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on. But when the the uh, the preacher or the pastor comes over, yes. and I do, there's there's a fun little bit about science versus religion going on there that I, yeah, I found him, to be funny. Him battling, they're talking when he mentions that he's doing research into radiation, and the priest asks him, "Well, well, Kent, don't you feel responsible?" Because he's talking about, "Oh, I hope it's not radiation in." connection with another nuclear bomb i mean you can't deny the responsibility and of course he quips back with well can you deny the responsibility there's no kingdom other than there's no there's no kingdom that has been given to so much bloodshed to that of christ's which which is just a great fucking line yeah there's something about that when he puts on when he puts on that bagpipe music that is just way too fucking loud i (laughs) I, I I love that that is is him clearly showing how much he doesn't give a fuck about. He's been fucked with so much at this point yeah. by the logo and not welcomed into this community. I, I don't give a shit about you. Yeah, I'm gonna be as, dis, as disrespectful to you as I can be in my own way. Yeah, I think I think he which made is that really passive aggressive. Yeah, oh, very much so. Which very I don't buy. So. Is he supposed? To, he, I I feel like they mention New York or they mention somewhere on the. He doesn't strike me as as an East Coaster. I don't know. I mean, he's I, far too passive aggressive to be an East Coast. He's more of a West Coaster. I feel like it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also seems like they they come in very, uh, very more more posh. They seem almost like an LA kind of place. Like maybe yeah. he's teaching at Stanford or something. Yeah. 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 Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes. But then yes. Then we get to um, we get to the scene. <sighs> so yes. Yeah, so they're hunting. Yeah, hunting. Yeah. There's yeah, that. Yeah. There's a great moment of where if you know what's coming. Then this line is fantastic, where where Venner, her old fling, and uh, Norman, the definitely the most threatening of the bunch, uh, they have a moment where they they talk about, I'll go this way, you go that way, and drive them. They're talking about the the pheasants or the or the geese or whatever it is they're hunting. Drive them to me, and they have that exchange. They have that look. They look at each other. There's a very knowing look that they ain't doing shit but going back to the house. Yeah, because Amy is by herself. And we come to what is probably the most challenging rape scene ever filmed. Uh, okay, so let me. I'm just gonna try to read I, what actually happens. Not. I'm not gonna try to put any emotion to it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to say what happens in the scene. He comes. He comes over. He asks for a drink, and she lets him in. Um. Eventually, when it gets to it, this is what I wrote down. He kisses her. She asks him to leave. He kisses her again. She hits him and tells him to leave. He slaps her. He says that she's teasing him. She slaps him again. He pulls her hair. Uh, she, as this is all going on, she keeps saying no. She tries to cover herself as he has, I think, ripped off her shirt at this point. She, she I, I don't know how else to describe she, she starts to caress him. I wrote down, is she accepting her fate or is she confused? Does she know what's going on? And then, and then eventually it leads into this. It, well, it leads to sex is happening. And there's a, there's a whole lot that could be, could be said about her emotional state at this point in the film itself. There's a lot of edits of um, her and Dustin Hoffman, the couple scenes before where they're about to have sex. And then he's, she's seen his uh, Charlie's face. And yeah, it's it's a very deliberate choice that they're both taking their shirts off and they're both above her. Yeah, you have that mirroring. 
and so so before we we move on to what happens after this let, let's so let, let's stick with this one for a moment it, it, it is most certainly rape my my thought is that there's a there's a sense of uh, Stockholm syndrome isn't the right word but like of, of of accepting what's happening to her where she she's physically lost the battle and maybe and I'm I'm really just speculating here so if anybody wants to at me that's fine but she all there's also a sense of familiarity that's that's the word that I kept using. She knows this man. We we she very clearly had some kind of a relationship with this man, whether it was physical or not. So that's up to us to believe. Because somebody flat out calls Venner a liar earlier in the film that they had been together. Yeah, and and when it and when when it's kind of reached its its literal climax at that moment, you know, he says sorry, and she says hold me, and there's this weird sense of or not sense, but there's this weird moment of. That they're actually together, even though that's not where we—that's not where we started. That's kind of where we ended. Now, good, bad, wrong, right—not I'm really not going to try to put my my piece on that. It, it's very much rape, but in the terms of of the story and what these two characters are going through, it, it ends in a really interesting and awkward it, place. It, it ends with with intimacy. Yes. When it started so rough, it, and it ends. It ends with the intimacy of a couple that's just made love, and there's a. I think it's very. There's a fire going as well, and so there's a moment where she looks at the fire, and I think that's a. Uh, I think that's a very deliberate choice because that's a trope, you know, people making love on bearskin rugs in front of fires, yeah. and you know, having that that very romantic, intimate setting, and I think this is a, a clear bastardization of that. That particular romantic trope, and I think it's it's supposed to destroy that romantic notion. Yeah. Um, so what happens next? Now, we don't have to debate this at all. What's, what, what's the guy's name? Norman. Norman comes in with a shotgun and is holding it at Charlie. Susan, or uh, sorry, Amy hasn't seen any of this yet. And without saying a word, they totally understand what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, now, it's interesting that Venner is very clearly disgusted in himself for allowing this to happen. He looks away. He's very has it, there's a moment of back and forth, you know, there's no dialogue there, but the dialogue yes. is very clearly this is going to happen. I don't want this to happen, but this is going to happen. Okay. Yes. And then he he holds her down holds her so down. that Norman can can rape her. Yes. Yeah. I I I guess when I cuz this is this is the second time I've seen this movie. And the first time I watched it, I watched it with my wife and we had a very very long conversation about this movie in in particular th- these moments right here. I want to know because I think I think what what I what I find interesting is that after after this moment and David comes back and the movie keeps going on now now Susan continues to ha- have to sorry I keep going back to her her real name Amy continues to deal with this internally she doesn't tell anybody about it she, this is a struggle that she decides that she's going to deal with on her own that's what she's going to choose to do. I don't. That's fine. That's what she's choosing to do. But the movie itself never really addresses it again. In fact, it seems to abandon this because we then focus really on on Niles, and then ultimately the well, showdown at the house. That's that's not entirely true because we have the sequence that happens before. So with what you're coming to, David comes home, 
he's all pissed off because very clearly he he's been led up the garden path. They abandoned him out there on the moors. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's great. Okay, I get it. They they did me over. They were onto me, and they 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 fucked me over. Not literally, not knowing that they have literally come into his house and violated his wife. Um, but she she breaks down. You know, you're a coward and I'm a coward. And she, the the rest of this is very much an internal struggle because then we now have the scene at the church hall. Yeah. And there are there are flashbacks to what is she is she internalizes everything, and she is, it's it's it, I think it's the best editing in the movie. Sure, I, I, I think it's it's really disturbing. She's forced to be in the room with these men. There's nothing that she can do about it. She's in a public place. Her husband is there. She's she's not at the point of of being able to tell her husband. Yes, for for whatever for whatever her reasons yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't say that the movie dismisses the rape entirely. It it does, it, but it, it doesn't. Does. It, it there there's no conclusion that that happens to the rape because then we you know the the last act of the film is the siege. Yes, but I, I, ultimately, what I what I mean by that is, we've just gone through this. We we we've witnessed this horrific act, followed by an even worse one. And, and I get that it's something that she that yes and I, I yeah she is definitely dealing with it for the rest of the movie, but in terms of I, I, what I, I guess what I'm trying to say from from where I'm sitting the grand scheme of the movie where the movie continues to go, it really it like it starts to just go down. It's not the point of focus, and it now turns into this. Well, I'm going to circle back to it because there's a couple of very important things that happen during the siege that circle back to the rape. We'll we'll get there when we get yes, there. I but I don't I don't I understand. So he, I understand the the feeling that it dismisses it. Yes, but I don't think it does completely. I okay. think I think the film propagates a pretty dangerous message. I think I think there is a I think there is a real <clears throat> irresponsibility with the film, especially the the way that it. it it's it's a fascinating scene, and it's incredibly shot i'm not i can't take away from the technical merits or all the work that went into what it must have been like physically and emotionally to have shot that scene but i do think there is there is a real irresponsibility about it well and from all from from at least excuse me susan george's account had it gone the way peckinpah had had wanted to do it it would not have turned out the way that it did right and It, it sounds like it's it it's for the best that she took the reins because she the the rape is from her perspective, yeah, which is the most important thing. And I think that's whether we want to say yet whether the film is must see material or not. I think that is a really important takeaway that she took control of that scene and said, "You are going to see it one hundred percent from my perspective. This is not about them. This is about me being violated by somebody that I used to know, somebody that I may have trusted at one point." Yeah. No, no, I yeah. yes. I, I hear you. Yeah. So we moved on to the the church event. Yeah. That's going on. Um Would, do, do you want a sidebar here and inject a little humor into, sure. into this this oh, very let's, dark let's episode. do that. Yes. <clears throat> so I love the priest in this movie. The priest is one of my I don't know that he is my unsung hero. Um <clears throat> I think Susan George is the unsung hero. I, I, I literally have that. That's, she she is the unsung hero. Yeah. Yeah. The, the amount of work that she did and how she how much she fought for the role, I love the bit in the interview where she talks about how she got the role. Yeah, well, with with the producer Peckinpah and and Dustin Hoffman all in the room, you know they're all yelling at each other 
yeah in the room when she's outside of the room and she can hear and she's like what, what's going she pops her head around they're all stood there with their fucking pants around their ankles just yelling at her and they say congrats you got the job <laughs> just fucking weird yeah weird fucking a weird group of people by all accounts yep so the the priest during this little church fate fundraiser that they're doing um He's kind of the master ceremonies. He's doing, you know, terrible party tricks and yeah. little magic tricks. His magic word for when he does the the water in the paper cup trick yeah. is the longest place name in Wales. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. I really should have practiced this more. Anyway, <laughs> there is a railway station in Wales. I'm not sure exactly where regionally it is but it is the longest place name in the world and it is almost impossible to pronounce now i've got a lot of I've, I've a few welsh members in my family that are just if they listen to this are just gonna laugh their fucking bollocks off i'm gonna <laughs> attempt to pronounce it <laughs> okay i'll show you so it's here before before i attempt this i'm gonna show adam where it is on the on the page so he can see just how many syllables are in this thing That's a Welsh word. It's it's a place name, and actually, it really what it translates to is is what the railway station is and where it's located geographically. It's very very specific. I I, I don't even want to believe that that's a thing. <laughs> that, that that is, is a real crazy. thing. Crazy. In fact, in in Welsh schools, when they're they're because I I believe they still teach Welsh. I know it's not very wide widely spoken. Um, but there there's a whole song just dedicated to teaching you how to pronounce this word anyway the whole point of this is this i'm just trying to inject a little bit of fucking humor no no I, I i got you man <laughs> not bad i that is a complete not bad if there's if there's any welsh fans out there please please go ahead and feel free to i hear we're number i hear we're number one in wales are we <laughs> excellent <laughs> i don't know oh, yeah <laughs> But I just I love the last little bit of it. Go go go. Well, when drob will anti silio go go go. Problem with the Welsh language, you have to have about three quarters of a pound of phlegm in the back of your throat in order to pronounce all those f's and l's and y's and w's. <laughs> well, you save some fucking consonants for the rest of us. Go 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 go. Do you want to do you want to have a go? Oh my god. Lean for pal welling gillen goggery. I have no idea. Brilliant. I, that, well was, that was great. That was great. They're never going to listen to us in Wales again. <laughs> but know that we say it with love. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Wales. It's a beautiful country. I've never been there, but it's I great. believe it. I absolutely there's, there's believe like it. like 600,000 castles there. They're just something to drive around, but <laughs> it's a really beautiful, mystical place. Well, I believe it. Is yeah. it like Bruges? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a fucking fairy tale. <laughs> um, okay, so, so Sorry, we're, we're at the we're, fucking church. Place. We're coming to the siege. Yeah. <clears throat> and but so what's prompted this is that uh Niles, who is this we haven't really described who he is. He's he's a character that pops up very early in the film and yes. there's a there's amongst the town folk there's a lot of tension between uh Niles, his brother, and mm -hmm. the rest of the town folk. They all believe that Niles should have been committed or or hospitalized or put in prison. He very clearly yeah. did something. Peter Vaughn, uh, as as Tom Hedden, yeah. is like sort of the the one who's like keep an eye on him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very clearly, he's interfered with somebody. He's he's not all there 
yeah. you know, mentally he's got that limp, which of course we we know that David Warner actually had a limp because he had sure, damaged but it, his it, leg. It also but adds something interesting to the character yeah, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, who knows how he got this? And it may have been an altercation with the townsfolk that was that was eventually broken up. Anyway, they they're all very suspicious of of Niles, and of course we have um, Hedden's daughter. Yeah. Who becomes a very important part of the film at this point, Janice. Yeah. And she goes off with Niles because she has been rejected. She lo- I feel like she looks, uh, there's a great little dynamic that isn't really explored where she almost looks up to Amy, the Susan George character, and, 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 and sort of fantasizes about a life with somebody that uh, David is, yeah. a, is, a, is exotic and yeah. foreign and unique to her. And so she, she definitely has an affinity for him. And of course, there's a, a great scene uh, earlier on that we skipped over where they are making love where Hedden's kids yeah Janice are, and, and her older brother they're yeah. they're watching them through the window mm-hmm. uh, so being rejected by David you know she doesn't come on to him but he's very dismissive of her when she's like oh hi David and, he's, and he just ignores her yeah she in a sort of act of defiance and looking to be fulfilled in in whatever way she's looking to be fulfilled, she goes off with Niles, of whom she is she is friendly with earlier in the movie. Yeah, just and just like she's playing catch with him or something. Yeah, she's it's flirting very... with disaster. Yes, is kind yeah. of the the yeah. the feeling that they're trying to to purvey. And they go off, and they uh, that you know they kind of sneak off, and and I she asked like she goes, do you want to kiss me? And there's this, you ever kissed a girl? Do you want to kiss? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's there's what where there's what I what is probably supposed to be a tender moment yes. between these two that ultimately it it comes around that she snuck off with him and and they start yelling for him and her and in sort of a, a curly from a mice of men kind of moment you know he he holds her to be quiet yeah. and he basically smothers her to right. death yeah um completely accidental but we know that this this thing was only ever going to end up in disaster. Exactly. Yeah. And then... And, she's and, this budding young adolescence. She's looking for attention in yeah. the same ways that, you know, she, in by all accounts, she could be young Amy. This, yeah. This could have been Amy mm-hmm. at that age. Yeah. And so in, in his in his confusion and desperation, he Niles just starts to walk away, and uh, Amy and David have already sort of... She's she's needed to leave, so now they're, they're on their way out. And um, and David sort of bumps into him with the car, yeah. takes them takes him home. Of course, she's not happy about it because she knows who Niles is. Yes, exactly. She knows his reputation. Yes. And she knows again that this can only end one yeah, way. Trouble's coming because he's here. Yeah. And uh, David, thinking he's helping, what ultimately he's not. He calls the bar because he can't reach the doctor and says, "Hey, if if you see him, tell him to come here. I've hit the Niles guy." And and then of course the the bartender. Keeps that a secret for all about three seconds yeah. before he tells everybody in the bar this as, is where as he is. As if he doesn't know what the fuck's going to happen. All the guys are in the bar. They're they're desperate. They're searching for Janice. They are going out of their way to get drunk. I mean, they're taking shots like it's the fucking apocalypse. I I so that so yeah in the siege. Yeah, so then the guys come. I think I think one of my favorite moments or in the movie because it's something that I I I totally understand is when Amy just tells him like. I, like, we says, David says they'll kill him if I let him out there, and she goes, "I don't care." I heard that, and I'm going, "You know what? I think I'd probably say the exact same fucking thing." I'm like, knowing what she's already been through, knowing who's out there, knowing 
who this guy is, which of course David doesn't have the history of him, but she like she has more of the information. She literally has more of the information, and her I don't care was so it, it comes genuine. Off as, it comes off as very cold. It but does. It, it's a self preservation move. Yes. She, if they get in the house again, she knows what's going to happen. And it's cold. I think it's it's cold to David, who of course doesn't know any of what she knows. Yeah. Which again, not right, wrong. That's just literally that's what's happening. And then this is where the film excels in the way that it's set all of that, the way that it's laid all of these pieces. And I don't think they necessarily did this deliberately. I think this is just the way it came about in editing because I don't feel like there was that much thought that went into this final act of the movie. I mean, it's just going to be all out action. Here you go. This is what you're here for. You're here for the violence. Yeah. But it is actually really good storytelling the way that they line those pieces up to get to that point. As far as, you know, what Susan George knows versus what David knows versus what the potential to happen yeah. is. Yeah. And then, so yeah, then it's kind of all out chaos and a lot of stuff happens. I think some of the, in terms of plot points, you know. Uh, the major, major shows up to try and defuse the situation because, you know, David has already had two of them in the house. It's already gotten very tense. He's gotten them out of the house and is attempting to lock it down. The major shows up and through sheer accidents but with some malice i mean i i don't i don't i go back and forth on whether hedden meant to kill the major or not i absolutely think he did do you yeah yeah i do because they're they're fighting over the shotgun yeah 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 i i think oh again there's only there's only one way it can end yeah and of course at that point i think they all realize well shit now we're in it to win it yeah so we're just gonna fucking there's no turning back yeah everybody has to die yeah um, and, and a lot of people do, and ultimately we get our two perfect, we get, um, think of, think of an R rated, very violent home alone. Yeah. Cause God. via reverse engineering, I had read, I don't know how true it is, but on the Wikipedia page, there was a quote from the production designer or whoever from home alone saying, yeah, we set out to make a family friendly straw dogs. Which, you know, I just watched that episode of the, um, how, the movies that made us. Yeah. I didn't hear that on that. I'm going to guess there's no mention of straw dogs. <laughs> there was no mention of straw dogs on that. Um, and then we get another moment uh, with with Venner and and uh, Scott. Is that? Uh, Norman. Norman. Yeah, Norman yeah. Scott. Yeah, yeah. Who was the, the second rapist. Yes, where they've both made it into the house. And it looks like Venner has David cornered. And Norman's upstairs about to uh, try to have his way with her again. Yeah. And this is towards the end of the siege. Yes. And she screams out. She screams out Charlie. Yes. And not David. Yes. Further complicating yeah. this character. Yes. And and so, so so okay, I'm, I'm going to kind of brush by this because I want to, I want to, I have a question. So then, so then what happens is Venner shoots Norman. Yeah. And in in the in the kind of the ruckus of that, David goes after the gun. They both end up tumbling downstairs. Charlie has the upper hand. He's very clearly going to kill David. Yes. But she has picked up the gun and she hesitates. Yes. There's the hesitation. Now because because um because David gets him with the man trap. Yes. That's how that's how Venner meets his end. Norman isn't dead. 
He comes right. He comes back. Oh no, there's there's uh, no, oh it's no, somebody else. Norman is dead, but one of the other five That's five right. or six guys. Okay. He, he just knocked out. He didn't kill him. Yes, and so she, unlike the rat catcher, who he literally like beats to death with that golf club or yes. whatever the fuck it is and there are pieces which i did i love the piece of trivia yep, about this that, me too that he wanted he, that hoffman actually wanted something to hit and so they gave him like coconuts yeah and you see a piece of coconut fly up from behind the couch because it all happens behind the couch yeah. off screen and that's that shot really well i love this i love the slow motion and the angle that they chose for that but they were like oh that's great that can look like a piece of brain did you did you like watch that. the documentary on just this movie yeah okay because it seemed like it seems like Dustin Hoffman hates coconuts. Like the way that he talked about it was like, I, I, I want something that I can hit that I hate. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do coconuts. It's just such a funny thing yeah. that he, he wanted to obliterate that fucking coconut. And he does. Oh yeah. 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 Um, I guess I just, maybe this is just to further keep the movie complicated and, and, and to have us question, but like, wouldn't it have meant more if she shot Venner? Like, doesn't that, or is that just me wanting some kind of poetic justice? I think that's you wanting some okay. kind of poetic justice. Because I just, I, I mean, it's very obvious that the man trap is going to be something that gets used. Right. There's, there's it's a Chekhov's lot, gun. We know it's There's gonna, a lot of foreshadowing. Yes. It's a big deal at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. It's a big deal when he has the guys help him set it up and mount it on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way this man trap isn't coming into play. Yeah, that's fair. I, I guess I just... I wanted her. I wanted her. If she's going to use the gun, I wanted it to be on a more significant either either him or the the other uh, Norman. You're right. There's just something more poetic about like right because she doesn't really get to have justice. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. Well, I shouldn't say justice. She doesn't get to have her moment of vengeance. Yeah. Yes. Unlike David, who gets to fucking just go John McClane. Um, no, pre John McClane, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we end, <laughs> this movie ends with something I, I feel like was meant to be really prolific that I, I think Well, they, they couldn't think of an ending. I they, still, they, well, they were shooting this film without an ending. I, th- though that makes sense then. Yeah. So, so David is driving, um, Niles, Niles back into town and, and Niles, Niles says, I don't know my way home. And then David smirks and says, that's okay. I don't either. And we end. Which I like. I oh. really do. I really do like that because he has gone. Like I mentioned earlier, he swings in in his early weakness. He swings so far the other way when he says, "I will not allow violence against this house." Yet perpetrates some horrific violence against these men, rightly or wrongly. So it is. It is self defense. I don't feel like there's any moment in this movie where he is being bloodthirsty. Uh, consciously yeah I mean it is I mean he is going way too far I mean he's he's using a sledgehammer to kill a fly (laughs) yes I mean that's that's I think the beauty of his character is is just how far that pendulum swings yeah I mean I yes I I, it's a big swing I it just it's it's I don't know how much I believe it and and I and the reason I, I don't know where I fall one way or the other is because I get that. This is it because of the way he plays the game? Because I, I totally believe that we are all capable of it. I'm, it, I'm such a fucking nihilist. That's no, no, no. And, and, and I'm a, a pessimist and a nihilist. And I, I do believe that we are all, and it's, and it's not as far below the surface as I think a lot of us 
would like it to be, but I certainly believe that we are all capable of of extreme violence, yes. especially in a situation like that where we're cornered. I, I, I don't feel that he is unjustified in the action that he takes. Oh, I certainly I feel that there is, like I say, it, it goes too far. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, 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 I'm agreeing with how you described it. I, I do think it's, it's, it's uncharacteristic of what we've seen, although I agree with you that in certain situations that push come to shove, we're going to go one way or the other. Yeah. Um, I, I think what's interesting is, is the way he keeps saying, like, I'm going to defend the house. I will not have violence on this house. And not her. He doesn't he doesn't say I'm trying to protect you. I'm yeah. trying to protect this house. Which 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 I get she's in the house, but Yeah, but he it's also like but it, God, this is why this movie is so good. Ugh, sure. Yeah. The 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 conundrums, the moral quandaries that I think it puts us in when we view it. I mean it yeah, it does it it certainly does make it does require a lot of questioning and and self-diagnosis and yeah. and, just, and that's and that's why I love movies that force me to dig deep I, I I I do too I just don't know if this is the right one <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's an early example of it the, the the wrinkles have certainly not been ironed out in the way that something like gone baby gone I sure. think is one of the greatest moral conundrums in Fuck. film history that movie is that that movie's good. Yeah, I was angry. I was more angry, I think, than I've ever been at a at, at a film prior to that when I walked out of of Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, I was furious. I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, Memento was another one for me. Those we talk about moral moral ah, conundrums. That yeah, movie. Yes. Um. So it's yes, it's definitely not as polished as some films from the last twenty or twenty five years sure. or so. Yeah. Um. So I think we both agree that Susan George is the unsung hero She's amazing. of this movie. Um, I, I have a favorite shot, um, and it's usually I pick a scene or like a line, but yeah. I actually have a shot. Oh, right. Uh, and I need to find it in my notes because I want to be able to describe it. And it's Well, the, the, my favorite shot while you're looking for it is the one that I used on the, the Twitter post of, of him and, and Susan George on the hill before they go to the church fate. That is, I think that's very beautifully framed with the house in the background. And the moon? No, no. Because this is—it's during the day. It's, it's oh, evening. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a shot where he's out. It's like dusk. Yes. And it—it's the house, and then the moon is up there, and it's yes. like really nicely framed, and it—that's yeah. it, my favorite shot of the movie. Yeah. And I think that's—I think that's very close to the discovery of the dead cat. I think either it's—it's on, it's on it's one side bef- of it. Yeah, I think it's yeah. before. I think it's before as well. Yeah. And that's definitely. But there's some shot. there's some beautiful cinematography, and I think that the film had three editors, which I think is a problem. Yeah. It feels that way. There there are some sequences that are just magnificently edited, one of them being where she's forced to be at the church with all Mm -hmm. all the guys. That's incredible, and I think the siege is really well-paced. Yeah. That's fantastic. But, yeah, I definitely think three editors was was probably a bad choice. There's there's certainly in the first, I don't know, like 45 minutes, hour of this movie, there's a lot that could be restructured. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, one of the editors did go on to uh, Roger Spottiswood. Oh yeah, yeah. Directed my one of my favorite Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, and yep. directed. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this film, or if you've seen it at all. But this might be a, a flashback for some people. Air America, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Never and Mel Gibson. It. It's not good. Not good. <laughs> this is this is Downey Jr. peak black tar heroin. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, are we there? 
Do you have anything else you want to bring up? I don't know. Do you, do you feel like we you feel like we settled any of our moral conundrums regarding this film? Are there I don't I don't think we're ever going to settle them. Yes. Um I I think that what happens to Amy in the middle of this movie <clears throat> is obviously fucked up and wrong. I think you know, you're going to hear people say I feel like I've read and and I I've read so much about this. You know, people saying that obviously what she didn't deserve it. Some people saying that she was asking for it. The movie makes it complicated. the The actual filming of this scene is complicated in terms of how he was going to direct it, how he wasn't going to basically give her any say in what happened, and then she fought for it. And I, which is a triumph, and I think part of the reason she's our unsung hero. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, I'm really happy she stood her ground. Because and she talks about that. She talks about how a lot of people were intimidated by Peck and Paul. That he was quite a menacing, hot-tempered man, and she yeah. wasn't fucking having any of it. Yeah, which is great. Um, I'm, I'm glad that they cast her instead of somebody that might have been, you know, bowled over by him. Yeah. It's it's weird. I want to say the film has stood the test of time, but I I also don't think that it has. I I'm I'm glad that we're talking about it and that we're talking about it. Yeah. In, in such a uh, I don't know that we're that we're still that we're that there's the potential for people to still be challenged by this film, and I think that's what makes it a great film. Yeah, I I, I do think it's challenging. I don't think it's a great film. Um, but the question is, is do you think it should be in the book? I do. Okay. I because I I do think this film should be talked seen and talked about. I, and I and I don't think we've solved anything here today. I think we've what what I think. And I think ultimately what we should do is we should raise more questions than we should answer. Oh, sure. My hope is that people are going to see this sure. and talk about it. Um, I don't think this movie should be in the book. Because outside of a very intense and hard-to-watch scene, I don't think the story is interesting. I And, and I, I, I really thought about this a lot before this recording session today because I have very similar thoughts about the movie we just talked about with Raging Bull. I don't know how much I care about these characters. And it's it's hard for me to want to follow them through to the end of this this journey. Um, you think if David was more likable, or if Susan George's character was less ambiguous? I guess I'm just wondering why. There's a lot of extra things in this movie. You know, the whole thing with Niles, and I get there has to be a reason why there's a siege on the house. So I guess that's the reason. Um, but you know, why have Niles and the rape scene, or or why why? Um, why have the marriage be like enchant? Like, there's a lot of extra things. There's a lot going on in this movie, and I don't think we need all of it. I think you could you could have made this movie more cohesive. Um, and, and, I, and I think, like I brought up, I think having three editors is maybe part of the problem instead of having one well, on guy steering the ship. Shooting this movie without an ending. I that, mean, that's also a problem. Yeah. Um, I have a. I, I have an interesting replacement and it's not exactly the same, but it also raises questions about big issues. And I find it a very unique movie that nobody probably has seen that I've only seen because I bought it from you like a long time ago. Oh, when I was doing the, when I was offloading a lot of shit. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that movie is mysterious skin because I think it, it, and I won't say much about it and it's a very hard movie to watch too. But it also it it asks a lot it asks a lot of big questions and I think does a I think does a better job of examining them 
Um, and I also just think it's a very unique feature about watching these two these two men, young men, who have experienced the same trauma. No, I think I think we I should mean, talk. Do you want to do you want to just run through the plot really quick and just well, that's so basically it's, it's I think it's Brady Corbett and Joseph Gordon Levitt are high school teens. Um, and they were both on a on a. Uh, they're both on the same little league team, right? When the, in baseball, their kids. yeah, yeah. And then as they've grown up, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has basically basically become a male prostitute, yeah. and uh, Brady Corbett has become obsessed with the fact that he's been abducted by aliens, yes. and he is sort of going on his own journey of trying to discover what happened to him. And we basically watch these two men go on their own journeys that eventually bring them back together to to find out what the truth is. And, and they it, have to reconcile that they were were molested by their little league coach. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 tough subject matter, very much like this movie, but I find it well. There and there is in fact there's a rape scene in this where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is is raped and and beaten over the head while he's being raped from and, from the the bad guy from Untouchables. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it's a it's a tough movie to watch, but as as I think about it, it's a movie that I think um, tackles the issues in a more uh, direct way and also a more poetic and um, stylistic way. And I think it's the way they, they tell the story too, uh, I find really fascinating. I, that, there's something about the way that these, these separate tracks come back together between the two characters in that movie that I, I find, I've only ever seen the movie once, but it's, it's something that has never really left me. Yeah. That's, um, I'm, I've seen it once and again, it, it stayed with me. Yeah. Um, and I just I find it it also it also begs discussion and conversation. And, and he's a I, I'm blanking. Greg Araki. Yes, he's another one of those filmmakers. He, I put him up there with Lars von Trier, Gaspar Noe. Yeah, guys that I I can't say that I I love their movies, but I I'm challenged. I'm fascinated by them. I'm challenged by them. You know, they force like the, they force me to to dig deep and to, yeah. to ask a lot of questions of myself. And and I think. Ultimately, when I think of Straw Dogs, I think it's a challenging scene, but I don't think there was a lot of thought behind it. I don't. I don't think Peckinpah had the 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 forethought or the the um the practical nature of the, of knowing that this was going to be something that people discussed. I think he just wanted to make an intense scene, I, and I don't. That's and, pure and, and, speculation. And, that, and that's fair. I I don't think that that Peckinpah was the right choice. Yeah. I mean, I I think it worked out well enough. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I just said it. I think it's a great film, but yeah. I don't. I think Peckinpah has very little to do with that. I, th- so, I think this film needed. Uh, if we're thinking about directors of the time, I think this film needed. I don't know, like a Sidney Lumet. Oh type. man, that would have loved that. Yeah, I would have loved that. Yeah, I was gonna say um, Bakula, but I think I think oh, yeah, Lumet's yeah. good. That's yeah. a great choice. Yeah, solid choice. I, I think that film really needed somebody like him to deal yeah. with it. I agree. I agree. Um, so we have a we have a two two split uh, decisions in a row. Raging Bull, you say no, I say yes. Yeah. And uh, Straw Dogs, you say no, and I say yes. Yeah, I've been I'm I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in a big no mood, I guess. I, I guess. Don't know. Um, I, but I mean, you. I, it's another one where I feel like you're right on the edge of potentially saying yes because I think you agree with me in the sense that this film does need to be talked about. It I, raises yes, it, I do. It at I, least raises issues. I'm closer with about. this movie than I am with Raging Bull. Yeah. Um, because I do think it, it, it asks more, it demands more yes. from, from, from your audience. Um, but I, I just not quite over the hell on yeah. that one, Yeah. but 
We're just two people. Yeah. And, and we want to know, what do you think? Thanks for bearing with two heterosexual 30-year-old white guys as we tried to delve into some very, very deep subject matter. I just want to say, it's really tough to be a, a straight 30-year-old white oh, guy don't right do now. That. I know. I'm, oh, God. God. If they can't tell I'm sarcastic by now, what the fuck are we doing? Um, but we do. We want to know what you think. Yeah. Um, so please hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, uh, continue to listen and like and comment and subscribe in all the places. Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, whatever. You know, all the good places. Um and stay tuned next week for a, a nice break in tone, <laughs> something different and comedic and um, a, a breakout indie gem. So until then, I'm out. And I am you. And we will see you next week. Bye.